We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. The human body is an amazing piece of machinery. When the body is functioning as it should, all is well. And yet you well know that if one thing is wrong with your body, it can create a host of problems in life. Now there are some people in the world today, they have good health, only to learn that they have some type of disease, cancer, heart disease, high blood pressure. You know, it doesn't take all of those things to be lethal to the human body. Only one can take a person out of this world. Well, spiritually speaking, we're going to read about a fellow that had, as we would say, everything together. On the surface, here was a guy that life was good. Spiritually speaking, it seemed as if all was okay. But there was one thing out of balance in his life. And ultimately, that one thing that was lacking messed everything else up. So I want you to think about what is said in Mark chapter 10. Now you can read about this young man, not only in Mark's account. If you go back and look at Matthew chapter 19, Matthew has an account of this, as does Luke in chapter 18 of his gospel narrative. But we're going to look at it from the perspective of what Mark has to say. First, I want to call your attention to the investigation. Now, the Bible tells us something about the identity of this fellow. He is identified as a young man. But there are some things that are said about him that I think are noteworthy. Number one, to understand that he was a man of power. Now, he is described as a ruler. Some would say that he might have been a ruler of one of the synagogues. It might have been the case that he was a ruler in the council, that is, the Sanhedrin council. You remember, for example, when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, he was a ruler among the Jewish people. Nicodemus came for the purpose of investigating more fully the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the miracles of science which you do unless God is with him. And so Nicodemus had the opportunity to spend some time with Jesus and learn more about him. The same could be said for Joseph of Arimathea. He too was a council member, a man of authority. So this guy, this fella, was a man of power. But then also he was a man of propriety, that is, a man of reverence or respect. The Bible tells us that when he came to Jesus, he knelt before him. Is it possible that he had heard Jesus preach and teach? That he had come to appreciate, as Peter would say, the fact that Jesus had the words of life eternal? Is it possible that he had seen some of the great signs or miracles that Jesus had performed time and again? All of these things suggested that he was who he claimed to be, that is, the divine Son of God. So here was a man of power, propriety, and not just power and propriety, 
But he was a man of purity. The Bible tells us that he had sought to the best of his ability to keep the law. He was not one that had committed adultery. He was not a murderer. He wasn't a thief. Had not engaged in bearing false witness. Didn't defraud people. Matter of fact, honored his father and mother. So we would say, this was a good guy. And then add to that the fact that he was a prosperous man. The Bible tells us that he was very wealthy, very rich. So, in one sense of the word, here's a guy that has everything in the world going for him. But now note if you would. First, his identity, and then secondly, his investigation. Now the Bible says that he came to Jesus, knelt before him, and asked a question. He said, good teacher, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a powerful question, isn't it? A question that everyone at some point in time must grapple with. Here's a guy that's interested in spiritual things, and you've got to applaud that. I mean, he's interested in going to heaven, having life eternal. Many people in the world today, they don't think anything about what lies beyond this life. They don't worry about eternity, but here's a guy that was locked in. He wanted Jesus to tell him what he needed to do to gain eternal life. Now, what's really interesting is that he poses a question to the Savior. In response to the question, the Savior poses a question back to him. Remember what he asked? Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That's God. Nicodemus, I believe, recognized that there was something special in the life of Jesus. The signs and miracles that he performed time and again attested to the fact that he was a teacher come from God. Nicodemus was trying to investigate further to come to know for a fact about this man we call the Messiah. So is it possible that Jesus is asking him, is it possible he wants to know from this man, are you saying that I'm on a plane equal to God? You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 86 verse 5 that God is good. He is intrinsically good. We're talking about deity here. And so Jesus, in response to this man, would say, in effect, are you saying that I'm just a good rabbi, good teacher, a good master teacher, or are you saying that I'm the Son of God? Now, having said that, Let's move from the investigation to the observation. And if you read the text, number one, you come to find out this fellow had a problem. Now, he didn't know he had a problem, but he had a problem. And so Jesus said, you know the commands. You're acquainted with the law of Almighty God. You know what the Ten Commandments say. You're not to commit adultery. You're not to murder. You're not to steal. You're not to bear false witness. You're not to defraud. You are to honor your father and mother. And you remember what this fellow said? All these I have observed from my youth. In other words, Lord, if we're talking about checking boxes, 
then I'm here to tell you that I have sought to the best of my ability to live in compliance with the law of Almighty God. But interestingly, Jesus said, yet you lack one thing. In other words, there's something missing in your life. Yes, it's true, you observe the law. But what you don't understand is there is a glaring weakness in your life. Well, what's that weakness? Here's what Jesus said. Go and sell everything that you have, distribute to the poor, take up your cross, and follow me. In so doing, he said, you'll have treasure in heaven. So what about the problem of this young ruler? Could I say today, it is an age-old problem. There are two things that make the world go around. Number one is money. Number two is materialism. This fella had a problem with both. Now, there are a lot of people in the world today, they have a problem with money. They have a problem with material goods. I want to just, I want to just ask you a question. Let's just say that we had the opportunity after lunch today to sit down with Jesus and talk to Him one-on-one. -on -one. And during the course of our conversation, as we ask questions and listen to what Jesus has to say, attention is focused back to us personally. And what if Jesus said to us, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave here, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Now think about it. Would you do that? If Jesus asked you to sell every single thing you possess, would you do it? Would you sell your home and give the equity of your home to the poor? Would you give your life savings to the poor? What about your 401k? What about your land, your business? Would you be willing to give everything you own to the Lord? You know, sometimes we're hard on folks and we're hard on people and we lack looking inwardly at our own life. It's easy to sit here from a chair and say, well, you know what? That guy had a problem with covetousness and failed to realize that possibly we have that same weakness in our life. You know, Luke 12, Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's not how the world operates, is it? No, the world says you're somebody if you live in a certain neighborhood. The world says you're a certain type of individual depending on the automobile you drive, the clothes you wear, the company you keep. It's all about standing in the community, isn't it? In Luke 12, Jesus told a parable to offset the problem of covetousness among the people of His day. Talked about a rich farmer. Business was booming. And this guy said, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater. And there I'll bestow all my fruits and goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. Remember what Jesus said? You're a fool. Why? Because tonight your soul is required. In other words, you're going to die. And once you leave this world, all the things that you've accumulated in your life, whose will they be? 
And then Jesus said, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, you know, you could be rich from a worldly vantage point. You may have lots of money in the bank. You might have sizable holdings in in the stock market. You might have a great deal of land and on and on and on. But the bottom line is, are you spiritually rich? This fellow was rich. He was powerful. He had a heart interested in spiritual things. But he had a major problem. Here's what Paul said. Those who are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare, and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some men, having reached after, have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. Drop down, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Paul said, Charge them that are rich in this present world not to be high-minded, now listen to him, nor trust in uncertain riches. The fellow had a problem, didn't he? So what's the prescription, Lord? What then do I need to do to get my life back on track? You know the beauty of Jesus is He identifies a problem and then always gives a solution, doesn't He? He's the good, he's the good physician, isn't He? The great physician. So when Jesus says, okay, here's what you need to do to get things in order, then you can rest assured that's exactly what He needed to do. So what was it, Lord, you wanted me to do? Number one, liquidation. Jesus said, I want you to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Could you do that? Could you give away all of your earthly goods and not think twice about it? Liquidation would lead to liberation. Well, what do you mean? You see, what he didn't understand was his soul, his heart was imprisoned. He had become a slave to the things of this world. Now, you know, the devil is slick, isn't he? And sometimes, unwittingly, we become sucked into a certain way of life and we don't even realize it. I mean, here's a guy that on the surface, we would say, here is a remarkable young man. I mean, he's got power. He's a man of respect, reverence, dignity. Here's an individual that has what we would call a pure heart in many respects, a man of integrity. He's an ethical being. On and on and on, but he had a glaring problem, didn't he? Now here's what Jesus said. Those who commit sin are the bondservants of sin. Now there are people that are enslaved to sin. It may not be material goods nor money. But nonetheless, they are enslaved to a way of life. When people get up in the morning and the only thing they're thinking about is, where can I get another drink? Then they have a problem, don't they? They, They're enslaved. When folks get up in the morning and the first thought is, I've got to have a fix. I've got to have some type of chemical substance to get me rolling in the morning. There's a problem there. That warning sign is going off. So, There are lots of folks in the world that are enslaved. There are people today who have become a slave to power. That's all it's about. They want power. They want to have the ability to call shots in this life. So this fellow had a problem. 
And what Jesus is saying is liquidation will lead to liberation. Jesus also said in John 8, verse 36, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. I think what Jesus is saying is, look, if you want to get your life in balance, you want to be what you ought to be, you're going to have to liquidate in order to be liberated. Is that you today? Is there one thing in your life that's messing everything up? It doesn't take a lot of things. You know, sometimes we look at people and we recognize that they are besieged by any number of problems. I mean, they have more, they have more trouble than they can say grace over. Look, it doesn't take a lot of things to mess a life up. All it takes is one. And what Jesus is saying here is, okay, you know what? You've got your life well-ordered in some areas, but you've got a weakness. You've got a problem. In order to overcome this problem, you're going to have to walk away from something that you dearly love. So the question is, are you willing to do that? Thirdly, the repudiation. Now look again at what the text has to say. I want you to see this with me. Again, verse 21, Jesus said, One thing you lack. Go your way. Sell all. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And He said, You'll have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow Me. It's a tough statement, isn't it? Do you know anybody in the church today that if the Lord said to them, I want you to sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Do you know anybody that without hesitation you would say he or she will do that? You know anybody like that? Interesting question, isn't it? Is there anybody here that would do that? You've worked a lifetime to build a financial portfolio. And Lord, you're asking me to walk away from all that? Is it possible that had this young man been willing to do that, that the Lord would have blessed him with an abundance of wealth later on. Remember Job? Job lost everything, didn't he? Lost his family. Financially, he was a wreck. Lost his health. And you read the end of the book, and what happens? God blessed him immeasurably. And here's what the record says in chapter 13, verse 15. Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What's the problem with this fellow? Well, we're going to note that in just a minute. So, here's a guy that learns something about the character of the Savior. How so? Look again. Number one, you need to understand something. Jesus spoke very clearly, very transparent. No misunderstanding here. Jesus is saying, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and sell everything that you have, whatever you have, Distribute to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven. Anybody can understand that. First grader can understand that. And, and to know today, when we read the gospel narratives, the Lord Jesus is as plain, forthright, and transparent as any teacher you will ever read about. Minces no words. So we can understand what Jesus teaches. We can understand what Jesus wants from us. Not only did He speak clearly, but he showed that he cared. Well, how do I know that? Well, let's, let's look at the text. The Bible says in verse 21 that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. 
I don't care what your problem is, spiritually speaking. And you may have a number of problems. You might just have one. Whatever your weakness, whatever your problem, you need to understand, despite all of that, God still loves you. That song that we sing, the song that we began singing just as small children, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You mean to tell me that Jesus, in His heart of hearts, loves me? Yes, He does. Loved this fellow, didn't He? You know, Jesus was trying to correct some things in his life, but there was no doubt. This, this man, he genuinely cares. He genuinely loves me. You need to understand that. You need to know that despite the fact that there are obligations imposed upon you as a part of God's creation, God loves you. And so when God sets forth certain commands to be obeyed, he does that, and one of the genuine tests of your love for Him is your willingness to do what He says. Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commands? And didn't John write in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep His commands. His commands are not burdensome, wearisome. So you show your love to God by doing what He says. So number one, He learns something about the Savior. But then secondly, he learned something about his soul. I would hope that from time to time we introspectively evaluate our standing not just before God, but with God. Do you remember what Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5? Examine yourselves, whether you're in the faith. When's the last time you sat down and took inventory of your life? When's the last time you began to evaluate from Scripture how you're living? Now listen, sometimes what we think and what God thinks are poles apart. There are times when what others think about us, same thing, poles apart in terms of what others think and what God thinks. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus addressed the church at Sardis. And he said, you have a name that you're alive, but, he said, you're dead. The community, the people in the city around them, from their vantage point, here is a thriving, growing group of Christians. And God said, let me tell you what, you are dead, my friend. In Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus surveyed the church at Laodicea, and listen, he didn't have anything good to say about Laodicea. And so Jesus said, you say, I'm rich and increased with goods. And yet you don't know that you're miserable, poor, blind, naked. In other words, you think you've think you got it together. You think that you're a wealthy congregation, not just materially speaking, but also spiritually. And Jesus said, i got news for you. You, my friend, are poor. Well, what's the problem here? Oh, he's poor. He thinks he's, he thinks he's okay. So he came to understand something about his soul. He was spiritually poor, wasn't he? But then there's a second thought. Not only was he spiritually poor, but he was a spiritual prisoner, as I said a minute ago. Now I want you to look down in verse 23. In verse 23, Jesus then said to the disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the Bible says in verse 24 that when they heard this, they were astonished. 
And so again, Jesus said how hard it is for those, now listen to this word that he inserts. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Therein lies a problem. Trusted in his riches. You know, sometimes our wealth, material goods, can give us a false sense of security. Isn't it amazing people that are wealthy by the world's standards, when diagnosed with a terminal illness, sometimes you'll hear them say, listen, I'd give everything I, everything I own just to live a little longer. Trusting in riches. Paul said we're not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. You see, the problem, his trust was in what he had and not in the Lord. Now note if you would what Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astonished among, beyond measure. That is, the disciples were astonished. And they want to know, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Now, listen to Peter. You can just imagine Peter's listening to all this that's going on. Peter then raises the question, Lord, we've left all and followed you. And really what he's asking is, what's in it for us? So I want to ask you, when you look at your life, are you where you ought to be spiritually? One thing can mess you up physically. You may be healthy as a horse, but you let your body get invaded with a cancer and you have a real problem, don't you? you got a battle on your hand. You get some type of debilitating heart disease and you got a problem. I've known people that have had heart disease, cancer, Parkinson's disease. Any one of those three would take a person out. This person just happened to have all of them. doesn't take but one thing to get your spiritual life out of balance. So I ask you, is there one thing that would hold you back from serving the Lord? Is it your family? Finances? What is it that would hold you back from serving God and ultimately being with Him in heaven? Sometimes it's just one thing. So what would you need to do? Well, you need to understand that if you die in sin, as Jesus said, where I am, there you cannot come. And that is a siren warning to all people of all generations. Listen, you can't afford to die outside of Jesus Christ. You can't do it. And have any type of hope beyond this life. This fellow wanted to know what he needed to do to have eternal life. Jesus said, let me tell you what, you've asked a hard question, you've asked a profound question, a personal question, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what you have to do to have eternal life. Number one, you've got to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Without faith, it is impossible to be pleasing to Him. You've got to have faith in God. There are no ifs, buts about it. And then you've got to repent. You've got to walk away from whatever lifestyle you're in right now. Somebody says, I love my lifestyle. I'm not willing to give it up. Well, that's your choice. You don't have to give it up. But if you, if you don't give it up, you need to understand... As Jesus said, repent or perish, Luke 13, 3. 
And then to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then to be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away. Now think about this man for a minute. Here's a guy that asked probably the most profound question anybody could ever ask. He didn't get the answer that he was looking for, and the Bible says that he became sad, went away grieved. Why? Because he had great possessions. One day we're all going to stand before Almighty God. It really doesn't matter what our position or rank in life might be. It doesn't matter if you're the president, vice president, speaker of the house, congressperson, senator. Maybe you are a Hall of Fame baseball player or football player. You think that's going to carry any weight when you stand before God on that final day? Not one bit. Let me tell you what will carry some weight. If you are a faithful child of God and His cleansing blood is at work in your life, when you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, let me tell you what you want. You want the Lord to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You want to have so lived so that you can be in the presence of God and with His people forevermore. Don't let the world deceive you. Choose to live for God. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love